Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We start today with a breakthrough in geothermal energy. It was announced recently in Nevada. Industry officials say that this new technology could mean a huge increase in the percentage of electricity that's generated from the heat underground. Some Western states are gearing up to make this more possible. Alex Brown has been covering this issue. He is a Seattle-based environmental reporter for the nonprofit News Service Stateline, and he joins us now. Alex Brown, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Can you just give us the basics here? I mean, what is geothermal energy? Yeah, geothermal energy uh, is a, a clean energy source. It's produced by underground heat. Um, so in, in the simplest terms, uh, there's these hot spots underground, and in some places uh, where there is some accessibility, uh, companies are able to pipe up steam to power turbines and produce electricity. So historically, uh, geothermal energy production um, makes up a very limited portion of the U.S. energy supply. And that's because it's traditionally been limited to places um, known as hydrothermal resources. Um, so think places where you might see geysers on the landscape, where you have those hot spots at relatively shallow depths, and you have very permeable rock and uh, liquid reservoirs underground where you, you have that steam already being produced, where that's somewhat easier to access. So the breakthrough that's been announced uh, recently is known as enhanced geothermal. It, it's been discussed for a long time, uh, and, and for a lot of folks in the industry, this, this is kind of ahead of schedule. Uh, this company, Fervo Energy, um, has demonstrated the first commercially viable enhanced geothermal. And, and what this does is they're using uh, drilling techniques perfected in the oil and gas industry, um, going in, drilling horizontally, and essentially instead of needing to find an area where that permeable rock already exists, they're able to create that permeability and then access those hot spots, uh, pipe in water or liquid, and then kind of create that steam instead of finding places where it's already accessible. Um, so for folks in the industry, for state policy leaders that are really excited about geothermal, this really opens up the landscape for where production is possible. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier that uh, you said this is it's this is ahead of schedule according to some analysts. I mean, what were people expecting in terms of a timeline? Uh, you know, I, I would probably depend a lot on on who you ask, um, but I know for for folks in the industry um, who I've been talking to on this issue for years, um, this you know for some folks this was seen as maybe decades away. Um, maybe for the folks working closely on projects like this, they had a notion that they were they were close. Um, but but certainly, um, this is something that had been talked about for a long time as kind of once accomplished or um, really proven out uh, as the, the technology that would really open up the potential for geothermal power production on a much bigger scale than we see today. What is the connection between hydraulic fracturing, which, as you know, is, you know, has been used to to drill for oil or natural gas, um, in very effective ways in terms of bringing you know those fossil fuels out of the ground, but also destructive ways um, in terms of of the environmental consequences? What's the connection between that kind of fracturing 
and this new method of geothermal technology? Yeah, so I, I don't think we would be seeing these advances uh, in geothermal um, without kind of what has been pioneered in the oil and gas industry. And in fact, you'll see a lot of people in, in geothermal in this kind of new clean energy sector uh, with extensive backgrounds in oil and gas. Um, yeah, so the, the, the hydraulic fracturing that's been um, perfected in these shale fields is very similar to, to what's being used now for enhanced geothermal. Um, I think a lot of the uh, potential downsides or, or the things that have gotten pushback in terms of the chemicals used in fracking, um, not so much um, with, with geothermal production. I think it's a little bit different, um, but certainly the concerns in terms of maybe seismic activity, um, we, we might see arising if this sort of geothermal production does expand. I want to come back to this issue of, of concerns directly from the fracking, but but there are some political questions first. You talked to Colorado's governor, Jared Polis, about this. What did you hear from him, and, and what has been happening in Colorado? Yeah, so Colorado has really been a leader on this. Governor Polis is the chair of the Western Governors Association, uh, and it's been his big initiative during um, his tenure to, to really grow interest and, and work on policy to support uh, geothermal expansion. So he's done that both in his role as the, the governor in Colorado and uh, also convening this group of Western leaders. Um, so in Colorado, there's been a lot of work to establish a really clear regulatory framework, um, designate one state agency as kind of as having that permitting authority, having clear guidelines uh, for prospective developers that want to come in and drill. Uh, instead of navigating a whole maze of, of state agencies and unclear regulations. Um, also a lot of work in terms of tax credits and, and loan programs and, and making some resources available to make it attractive for developers to come in, especially given the, the very high cost of initial drilling that can really be a deterrent. Um, as the chair of the Western Governors Association, he's really encouraged a lot of similar similar looks in, in other Western states, um, brought together a lot of industry leaders. And, and that has been kind of a consistent call from the industry, from, from renewable energy advocates, that there really does need to be more state support and, and better uh, guidelines, uh, permitting structures, if the industry is really going to get off the ground. Have other Western states followed his lead? Uh, in fits and starts, yes. Um, certainly, it, it depends a lot state by state. Um, New Mexico passed a, a pretty comprehensive package earlier this year. Um, it was surprisingly pocket vetoed by, by the governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. And I know advocates there are working pretty hard to, to figure out what her concerns are and, and try to revive this. Um, but it was, it was also similar in terms of getting a more clear permitting framework, uh, getting more staff at the regulatory agency to process those permits, and then making some... Uh, some loan and grant opportunities available to prospective developers. Although I guess it's worth just talking briefly about the the timeline here. I mean, the, this um, this company, Fervo Energy, a, a Texas-based company, it was just last month that they announced this big breakthrough. So I, I suppose it's possible that in the wake of that announcement, more states could follow Colorado's lead. Yeah, that's certainly what we'll be watching for. Um, there's definitely been growing interest uh, just over the last couple of years uh, uh, in a lot of Western states, certainly with this initiative. Um, 
even before this breakthrough was announced, um, in, in terms of growing geothermal with existing uh, hydrothermal resources. And I, I would imagine also in anticipation of the day that enhanced geothermal did become possible. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see if more states um, throughout the West, especially where there's a lot more access to uh, heat at shallow depths, um, kind of seeing the, the potential landscape opening up for geothermal uh, really start to come on board in terms of a policy framework and, and maybe some financial support for the industry. Is there new momentum for geothermal energy in Oregon or Washington right now? Uh, I would say the focus, uh, or, or at least in the last legis- le- legislative session, um, is aligned a little more closely with what we've seen in, in eastern states, where there's a lot of potential uh, for geothermal for heating and cooling. Um, so Oregon lawmakers this past session approved, I think, $18 million in bond funding uh, to help Oregon Tech uh, renovate a geothermal heat system that provides heat and hot water for the entire campus. Uh, it's a pretty old-school technology, um, but we're, we're seeing kind of a, a renewed interest in this idea that you can you can heat a campus or, or in some cases, you can heat neighborhoods or towns with this um, just piping up heat from below ground instead of using uh, gas pipelines. Um, so that, that has been... Um, kind of where, where the attention has been, at least in this past legislative session. Um, but certainly following uh, this development last month with enhanced geothermal, um, the continued interest in, in expanding clean energy in, in Oregon and Washington uh, would not be surprised at all to see uh, some growing momentum for, for lawmakers to address this. If you are just tuning in, we're talking right now about a breakthrough in geothermal technology that could mean a big increase in the amount of electrical generation in the U.S., especially in the western U.S. The breakthrough came from techniques honed in oil and gas fracking. Alex Brown has been covering this issue. He is a Seattle-based environmental reporter for the nonprofit news service Stateline. Alex, so you're talking earlier about differences in what this might look like in broadly in the western u.s compared to the eastern u.s what's the difference so it has to do with geology uh, and i wouldn't claim to be an expert there but but certainly in many western states if you look at maps of where there's access to to geothermal resources a lot of the hot spots most of the hot spots show up in uh western states and that means where the, the heat underground is at shallower depths, so it's a little more accessible for drilling. It's a little more cost-effective to get to. Um, uh, in eastern states, there's um, a few spots like that, uh, West Virginia particularly, where state lawmakers have been working to set up a regulatory scheme uh, to allow for uh, geothermal energy drilling. Uh, but, but right now in most eastern states, um, it's not yet economical to to harness geothermal for electricity production. Uh, there is great potential and a, a lot of policy interest in geothermal for heating and cooling. Hmm. What Can you give us a sense for just how much geothermal energy there is right now in terms of our nation's power grid? I'm, I'm wondering now about scale. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it depends on who you, who you ask or, or how it's defined. Um, I mean, the, the heat uh, underground is, is, is near limitless in terms of the, the power it could provide. Uh, it's just a matter of what's economical and, and cost-effective to tap into and, and how soon we can get there. Um, 
industry leaders I spoke with uh, at, at Fervo uh, following this breakthrough with enhanced geothermal and, and kind of looking at places on the landscape where enhanced geothermal really has a chance to come online. Um, their estimates are, are uh, on the order of about 20% of U.S. electricity supply, um, which is uh, quite a bit larger than the less than half of a percent that geothermal is providing today. I mean, obviously, they have a vested interest in saying that um, that we are on the cusp of, re- of a revolution. Um, but but twenty percent. I mean, it, it that is a revolution. That's right, and, and certainly uh, as states, as the country as a whole is is transitioning to renewable sources, trying to get off of fossil fuels and uh, have a clean power supply. Um, there's a lot of interest in having those stable, quote-unquote, baseload power sources that are always on. As more and more of the grid is dependent on wind and solar, uh, certainly those are sources that vary quite a bit from from hour to hour, day to day, month to month. Um, a lot of states are investing in um, battery storage to, to capture some of that surplus and then put it back onto the grid at night when, when solar drops off a little bit. But there is a growing interest in having that resiliency, the reliability of having those quote-unquote always-on power sources. Uh, And and a lot of people see potential for geothermal to do that uh, in a way that doesn't generate emissions. Right, because one of the the other options we've heard about from the natural gas industry is, hey, don't forget about us. We can be the the always-on helper when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining or the the, the reservoirs aren't full. But this would be an actually a a zero-emissions way to provide that same baseload. I want to turn back to these questions about fracking. How different might the environmental repercussions of fracking be for geothermal electricity as opposed to drilling for oil and gas? That's a really good question. Uh, I'm certainly not a a technical expert. Um, I I know there's been local opposition to to some projects uh, based on similar concerns. Um, But I I do feel that that geothermal um, drilling has not yet gotten that that same level of pushback, opposition, that fracking for oil and gas has. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of unclear if that's because it's, it's using slightly different techniques, different chemicals. Um, maybe the, the, in, the industry and, and this sort of drilling is still in such a new stage that it, it just hasn't yet generated that attention and opposition. Or maybe people are willing to look the other way a little bit more when it's a clean energy supply uh, as opposed to a fossil fuel. Well, I mean, this also gets us to the question of the timeline here, because as you said, one of the possibilities is people haven't been complaining because this has not really been used much yet. There is that one test case, um, which has proven successful in Nevada, but it's not like this is in under people's homes all over the country right now. What is a possible timeline? I mean, how quickly might companies like Fervo or I suppose their competitors, how, how long might it be before they would be able to actually scale this up? in large, you know, commercial projects? Yeah, that's the, that's the big question. Uh, I, I think that the industry folks would certainly tell you that will depend a lot on the, the kind of support they get from policymakers and states and the federal government in terms of, you know, enabling a, a permitting scheme that gets them online and uh, allows them to drill. Um, I can tell you Fervo is, is looking at another project 
already. Um, this initial announcement is a fairly small pilot project, uh, but they're working on one in Utah that they say will be able to power three 300,000 homes by 2028. Um, so that's just one project they're working on. I'm, I'm you know, certain a lot of other companies uh, are going to try to get pretty aggressive uh, now that this has been announced. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, the question of how fast this can scale up, especially as increasing portions of the grid are, are relying on wind and solar is really the big question. Alex, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Alex Brown is a Seattle-based environmental reporter for Stateline. It is a nonprofit news service focused on state policy issues all around the country.